Hey guys, this is Adam Carswell, and I have a special treat for you today. You're currently tuned in to a Dream Chasers miniseries titled Fearlessness, Not Carelessness. Now, disclaimer, this content is not originally mine. However, I was granted permission by the creator, Charlie Oliver, to share this information with my circle. Charlie Oliver is one of the most influential real estate entrepreneurs here in Newfoundland, Canada, and in my opinion, really in the entire world. He is a man of wisdom, and I was introduced to him here in St. John's by my local rabbi, Rabbi Shernitsky. Hope you're listening today. Thank you for the connection. Uh, and I have to say, it was without a doubt one of the most valuable, valuable connections I've made since moving here roughly a year ago. As I mentioned, Charlie's background is in commercial real estate, but his life is much, much more than that. Uh, one really inspiring fun fact about Mr. Oliver that I learned is that not once in his entire career has he been sued. So, you know, he's someone who always looks for the win-win opportunity until it's discovered. Um, and I just love that about him. Charlie has traveled all over the world and done extensive research and learning in metaphysics. He's a man of spirit, and he has a desire to learn from all races and religions in a very exemplary fashion. His company is Martech, that's M-A-R-T-E-K. So if you'd like to go do a web search on Mr. Oliver, go ahead. Now, this is a six-part series originally presented to the St. John's Board of Trade during this corona era that we're living in. The funny thing is though, Episode 1 seems to have magically disappeared. So if anyone listening right now can find Episode 1, please send it our way. Also, this soundbite which you are listening to right now will play before the beginning of each episode. So depending on where you are and joining us, be sure to go back and check out all five uh, or hopefully six episodes. Here's my analogy before we get started. Uh, this is going to kind of date some of us here a little bit. But for those of you who listening who used to play Pokemon on the Nintendo Game Boy, you'll remember that there was an item called Rare Candy. I don't know about you guys, but maybe besides Master Balls, Rare Candies were the absolute best thing you could find or buy or get because they automatically leveled you up. And so this series right here is Rare Candy. So get ready to level up, or as we say, take it to the next level. Thanks. And for those who've been with us through that whole period of time, we've touched on ourself first, where we talked on pockets of control, emotions, anxiety, fear, anger. And again, I qualify anger with the term righteous anger. Um, we moved into some other things on how to quieten our brain and try to be in the present moment. We had references to monkey brain, and it's a nice term because it, it accused us back to saying we should be mindful, be in the moment where we can be. And that's an exercise. That's a lifetime exercise. It'll take us forever and a day to master that. We then moved into, again, Candace and I, sorry Candace, but we're talking on anticipatory grief, anticipatory expectations, where a lot of our concern and fear is caused about us looking into the future and drawing an event back to us that may not even happen. So that, that was the self. Then we moved last week into talking about dealing with our staff and so on. So we stretched ourselves from talking about ourselves to an other, and the other being our staff. And today we're going to move it to the other, which is a little step further out, which is connecting with our clients and suppliers. 
And the interesting thing about that is that it has the same tonality and the same approaches that we use with ourselves and with others. You know, we are all in this together. So I love a couple of cornerstones of what we as human beings should be putting into our personal lives, our business lives. And, and that's empathy, grace, resilience, dignity, and compassion. And we've talked on those over the past couple of weeks. But at the end of the day, these sessions are all about our emotional well-being. And with that as an underpinning, we ourselves can function better, our staff can function better, and we can create and enhance and maintain better relationships with our suppliers. And when we talk about customers and suppliers, it's really interesting because we are all customers and suppliers. We sometimes objectify the fact that I will go to the hair factory to get my 72 hairs done soon. Um, and I am a customer, but that role flips around when I perhaps provide advice to Dale. And the same thing goes to, you know, our, our guys at North Shore and Travis and these guys. Like, we are their customers, but the role reverses. So when we say we are all one, we are all one. And we need to be acting with that awareness when we're dealing with, with, with the people. So one of the first things we recommend is to have a personal connection from your company to your client. And that personal connection should be exactly that. It should be you or a key person in your shop connecting with the person on the other side. And depending on the type of business you have, if it's a one-on-one -on -one situation, then you may need to do pockets of that. You may be able to do it by any number of ways of, of uh, digital communications. Um, a voice is always wonderful. This modality is working out to be very good. So the idea is to have regular communication with your clients, but don't do it so as invasive and try to do it so it works more from a personal, personal perspective. So I'm just going to go through this morning um, a couple of topics that will probably focus us more on that and enable us to be uh, grounded in something that's important to work with customers, clients, and great learning ground now because we'll be able to take this in the future. So let's go with a couple of them. Number one is sharing experiences and common challenges that we have. And the way we've been doing that, and we've been interacting with our building owners and our tenants in our buildings, is to tell our customers, our clients, our tenants, what's happening. Awareness is so powerful. So as you talk to your people, as you talk to your customers, you do so pulling out that term we brought in last week called EQ, which is emotional intelligence. So come at it not so much as a business lady, a business person, a business man, but come at it as one human being to another. So we get to share the experiences that we're having both personally, if comfortably able to share them, but also how that's impacting on our business. And so ways you're doing that is you do it by sharing related posts, emails, videos. So if you happen to come across an article or a post that you say, oh my God, this would be great um, for my friend over in that um, um, advertising business, slip it over to the person. Uh, the idea is it keeps a connection going. It makes it personal. If you know something personal about your person that, you know, they may have this great love for, uh, for uh, Brittany Spaniels, then you get an article you send it. The idea is to keep the connection more so now than ever because more of us have absolutely phenomenal amounts of time to actually read, research, and, and, and be aware of that. So 
keep reaching out, but keep reaching out knowing that every single one of us has struggles. There is nobody struggle-free, nobody. So when you do that, you focus on your customer and your supplier's needs, not yours. And in so doing, and when you're interacting in an environment with them, whereby safety is an issue, what you want to do is make sure that you prioritize safety. You want to be seen always as acting fairly and always in the best interest of your client. And I think many of us are finding that we're doing an awful lot of additional services, um, additional communication, for which we are not generating any extra revenue at this moment in time. But the idea is we're solidifying our relationships and we're making them deeper and, and hopefully better, better connected. For those of us who are able to pay our suppliers in a timely fashion or even in an advanced way, we should be trying to do that. With some of our business uh, partners, we have gone and tried to identify any projects that may have been on the books for two or three or four months in the future, and we tried to advance them where funds were available in order to help support them with their staff. So in our particular business, we're able to say that we've got a couple of projects underway, we've got tenders out for other projects, and the idea is to try to create and continue the momentum with our clients. So in reality, we don't have to be doing that. We could wait till September to do a certain project. But the idea is to bring it back in time so that we are worried about and concerned about keeping our suppliers active and busy. We don't want them to disappear. We don't want them not to be here when we get back to being busy. So for each of us in our own way, if we could be doing that, it's so, so, so powerful. So the idea is to get mutually creative with your clients. In some cases, they may be able to say, listen, let's do this work. You can pay me half now and pay me half later. But the idea is open up the dialogue. If you've got a creative exercise you're doing for somebody, you say, listen, guys, I need give me 20% of my fee for now and we'll straighten out the rest later. But let me get engaged with you and help you through this process. <clears throat> And this is, a, I love this, I keep saying this is a sexist statement because it is absolutely true, but females have phenomenally more connection to their intuition than we males do normally. And we need to be listening to that and acknowledging it. So what I'm suggesting is that everybody move to being a bit more comfortable in following your mutual instincts, your intuition. If you happen to say, I... I just got a sense that I should call, you know, Mr. Smith or Mr. Jones or Miss, you know, Pike, then do it. Follow that intuitive urge and nudge more so now and more so when it comes to your suppliers and your clients. Like they're reaching out, they're doing the same battle we're doing. How's this going to affect my staff? How's it affecting me? What's it doing my inventory? How am I going to meet my bills? And as we move through the process, through a cycle that will be called Pandexit, once we get into Pandexit, that process, not unlike in, in Britain, is probably going to take us a long time. Because metaphorically, what we all have done in the world, if we've fallen down a very, very deep cliff, and we went down that cliff very quickly, the virus hit us in 90 days from zero to, to full throttle. But we've got to climb back up that hill. And that's going to take time, and it's going to take us working with our suppliers, with our clients, because they're part of our team. 
Uh, expectations, we have to learn how to manage them. So there's a, in our business, and whether you've used this term or not, the reality is there's a psychology of expectation that's crafted based upon our past practices. And if I can pick on Dale for a second at the hair factory, everybody who's a client of hers has a psychology of expectation because they schedule their appointments, get their roots done for those who have roots, some of us don't, and live their lives based on that. And when we get into next week and the week after, we'll talk about this, but it's managing that psychology of expectation now so that we can talk to our clients and customers saying, listen, we've been working at half staff, no staff, we're coming back onwards, let's be patient. The reason I bring that today, pulling out of next week, is we also have to do that with our customers and our suppliers, both ways, both ways. So that if we are asking for service from one of our suppliers or clients, and we're being more insistent, we need to take a deep breath, ground ourselves and say, they're probably working with 15, 20% of staff that are under stress. Let me, let me, you know, let me be gentle, let me be more. So, so the idea is communicate timelines, schedule reports, deliveries, and so on. Communicate with your client, explain why you may be late for a report. Explain why the roof that's going on a building will be two or three weeks late because of a whole bunch of safety factors and enhanced focus on items that we never had to have as much before. So the psychology of expectation is something that, that needs to be kept in our consciousness. The term of personalization is something we talked about in business. And as we get more and more clients, we, we get less and less personal with our clients. Now we have to come back and reinvest our time and energy in a personalization. And it, obviously, from my lips to yours, has to be based on emotional connections. The day of non-emotional, objective, left-brain, business-driven people who didn't care about anything other than profits and would do anything and connect as often and only as often to make a deal, those days are gone. So we now have to focus on a personalization. And this will evolve into a strong key business attribute and tenant regardless of your business. It's essential. You have to know that you must personalize your relationship with your clients. Um, Kev Casey gave me permission to use this as an example for my next little comment. We, we also have to learn to speak in the language of our clients, our suppliers. Now, while many of us are moved to a digital universe and for collecting monies and banking and that, we sort of don't have a lot of flexibility because the structure and systems are not there. But how we communicate to our clients is absolutely essential. And Kevin and I have a multi-year ongoing battle about the fact that me, Charlie Oliver, does not like texting. That's not my mode of communication. I would rather phone call or email. Kevin, on the other hand, does not like phone call. Email is a second close to being not as good, and he's a texter. So he and I go back and forth. And we flip back and forth as to who is the customer, who's, you know, who's the client, et cetera. The reality is if you've got a client that wants you to communicate with them voice, then log that into your brain, put it on the file, and say, when I speak to John Smith, the word speaking is I have to phone them. 
So get sensible with that and also understand the communication levels, engage words and communicate jargon, etc. Be very, very careful with, the, with your customers, with your clients. You want to be clear, crisp, but in their form of style of communication. Focus on being personally meaningful to the person. In some services, hair services, etc., the personal is very easy. Our business of providing residential accommodations is easier than commercial accommodations. If someone has a 5,000 square foot um, office space in one of our buildings and are a national company, it's harder to be personal. But what you learn to do over time is you get the person who is the voice of that company in your office and you create a personal relationship with them and that's how you man manifest in larger, larger organizations. And as you do this personalization, be very careful that you don't let it morph into the equivalent of an old marriage. And I, I like the idea that we always should be hustling and chasing and exciting our existing clients as much as we would a new one. And we tend not to do that. We tend to settle in, get a customer, get a client, say, okay, they've been with me 10 years. They're there for life. But what you need to have you and your staff grounded in is the assumption that that may not be so true. So the idea is to perpetually be talking to and or introducing new things and or creating new interactions and relationships so that your old client feels as special or more so than a new client. So don't let your relationships with your clients morph into the sensation of an old marriage. And we do know that it costs us all an awful lot more money to generate a new client than to retain an existing one. We should keep that forefront in our consciousness. So underpinning all of this and underpinning our past four weeks and will continue is a word that I keep using and it's called empathy. And the idea of empathy is quite simply to put yourself in the high heels of your client, to look out through their lens and to sense and speak their narrative. And that's not always easy to do especially now when everybody has got so many vortexes of stress coming at them that it becomes a, a, a place of, oh my God, how do I get to understand that person's righteous anger, righteous rage today and is directed at me? And we also need to look in the mirror at ourselves because we all react at times in ways and means that's not normal for us. So when you speak to your clients and you sense there's a change in attitude, like reinforce to them and tell them that you too will change to address this new sensation, to address what we call new awakenings that are being presented to us as we walk through this struggle and climb up this mountain to get back to ground level again. I've always talked to construction guys around our company about the fact that I am as concerned about them making profit as we are. 
And we all have to understand that about our suppliers. Our suppliers, our contractors need to make money and need to be profitable. And in these times, it's becoming much, much more aware because everybody is stressed. So while you're negotiating contracts and you're going through the process, leave some money there for profit for that contractor, that supplier. Without them, you don't have a team because they are an extended part of your team. And over my 37 years in business, I've talked to our contractors to make sure that they are making profits. And if they are bidding a job too low and they lose money, then I don't want them to do the work. And neither should any of us. We move into, as we're going through this, and all of us are doing something to help somebody else. And it moves us into a term that the Board of Trade has promoted for years and years. And it's, it's, it becomes jargon, but it's now back in vogue, and that's Corporate Social Responsibility, CSR. Um, I was at the, the or on, online with the Fortis meeting yesterday, and, and again, they're a good example of corporate social responsibility. Um, I think they're donating, I think the number is about a half million dollars, 500,000, 20 different organizations in Newfoundland to help them through this. So corporate social responsibility. And it doesn't always have to be money. It can be time, effort, guidance, your skills, your talents that you put forward to somebody, some organization, choices for youth, gathering place, any, any number. They need it more now than ever before. <clears throat> so here's a mouthful that's going to come out that's empowering if we can fold it into our own way of being. We as business owners or business managers or principal players inside organizations, when we are dealing with our customers and our clients, and I also like to say suppliers, it, it is incumbent upon us and I challenge us to enhance or create or recreate seamless, convenient, engaging customer journeys. We want our clients, when they finish an experience with us, to say, hmm, that was pretty nice, or wow, or what a great piece of advice, or she did not have to do that. That is where it's at. So that moves that relationship into one of my favorite words, which is effervescence, exciting, powerful, and memorable. And if I may get an example, I have a little time. Um, Chad Hart works for Andrew Bell. They do a wine distributor chip. Chad Hart is working through this to develop business. He and I converse. And this is an example of me being the customer and he's selling me product. And in our dialogue, we are creating, for some of my cycling friends who may or may not be on this call, a wine tasting on Zoom. We're calling Tour de France because the Tour de France is delayed. And he's going to create a blind six-pack of red wine that gets delivered to each of the participants' houses. He's arranging for the distributor to sample three of those wines with us. And we are identifying in that experience the, the area of France where the wine came from and how close that is to the route of the Tour de France and talk about how biking ties in with that community and the wine. So just... So... 
it may not sound appealing if you don't like wine or biking, but what happens there, it's an experience that we're going to buy product from him. So he sells a half case of wine to however many people come on this line. We get together in two weeks' time online, and we share that. That's a memorable experience. That has effervescence. That can happen in any of your businesses with any of your clients. If you just say, hmm, what can I do to put eight or 10 or 12 of my clients together if I want them together or suppliers and so on and so forth. And again, without, without uh, anything too much, uh, Travis White's on this call. Travis has got our team uh, engaged sometime next week on some new funky digital thing he and his guys have created and are introducing to digitize the control and analysis of roofs of buildings, which we manage. Um, what a great time to do that. It's new. Uh, it will it tightens the relationship between my team and his team, and at the same time, it's positive for all of my clients. So it sort of weaves uh, Travis and company into our organization as part of our team and giving better service. And just an example. So, <clears throat> so the the reality is we have to recall that I won't say a large amount of us. I say. All of us, the collective us, the collective we, have felt depressed, anxious over the past two months. We all have the same needs as our customers. Safety, security, convenience, reliability. So those are the key factors that we have to keep in mind. Treat our customers and suppliers as we want them to treat us, and we move ourselves into a bit more of a personalized service customer tenant relationship that that's critical to us i want to do a, a couple of one-liner quotes and then i'll summarize it and we can open it up for some dialogue the uh, the, the, the 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 couple of one-liners that i'd like to put out are usually uh like i've either read sourced or something but they resonate when i'm when i'm thinking about or like what what can we leave that's critical to us. So one is this one, and that is sustainable long-term profits result from exemplary corporate behavior. So we, throughout all of this, this retreat that's been cast upon us, we have the ability to really, really, really focus on our own corporate behavior. Think about it, analyze it, and how have we from our perspective, been treating and respecting our suppliers and our customers? And is it at a level that we want it to be at? Can I improve it? What do I have to do? So sustainable long-term profits result from exemplary corporate behavior. Here's another one. And we are all guilty of this. And it's so valid and so important. There's an old adage that when I was young in business, someone told me this and I paid attention to it, then I forgot about it, then I pay attention to it, then I forget about it. And that is that we spend, every single person on this, this call, spend more time working in our business than on our business. We tend to be doing the work, but we're not so focused on how we're doing the work and how do we generate more work. And those who've been around me in business, both inside of Martech and, and any other companies I've been around, I used to always promote the following statement for me, and that is 10% of your time 
should be used working on your business, generating new business, changing your systems, analyzing your business, which means if you've got a staff of 10 people, then one of those people should be in that role. If 10 people are doing one-tenth of their time, that also works. So be it the business generation or how do I improve the envelope within which I work, which is called my company. So work on your business is as important as working in your business. Remember that connecting with your customers and suppliers emotionally will help protect your business and it will lay seeds for your future growth. And when you lay the seeds for future growth, you also have to water them, which means you stay connected. So one is to connect, the second is to stay connected with your clients, with your customers, with your suppliers. And that will create a long-term relationship. And we've got relationships with customers and, and we've got relationships with suppliers for decades. We've got suppliers who provide us with information, um, with, with product. Dave Green Signs now is an example. I think he's new company now, but Dave Green Sign Company uh, has been doing work for us forever. Nobody can come in and compete with Dave because he's got an interconnected relationship with us. And I could probably go and say the same thing on a roof with North Shore. You know, for somebody to get involved and break that relationship, they got to do an awful lot because it's not only about the money. It's about the quality service, the responsiveness, the interaction. And guess what? The laughter and the storytelling. They are so important to maintaining and keeping those relationships. And in my world, firms that maintain their ethics during periods of catastrophe grow and prosper. So you're not out trying to hammer somebody and make more money on selling masks out of price or increasing your value of gloves or whatever is related to your industry. You don't do that. You don't turn into a scalper. What you try to do is you try to be fair and reasonable and then you say, how can I be fairer and more reasonable? And those are key pieces that you, we all should know, but we'll take them from this past month, two months experience, and we are changing our corporate culture. Regardless if we want to, we will change our corporate culture. Let's close it down with a couple of comments. Most important, and I keep coming to this, although they're all most important. Every, everything is most important. Kindness and loyalty. Just, just, just as you breathe in those two words and let them stay with you for a minute, breathe out. Kindness and loyalty. Like, wow. How cool is that? That will create a relationship and a bond, whether it's with your partner in life or your partner in business or your, your tenants, your clients, your suppliers. Kindness and loyalty. Master and maintain deep and meaningful human connections. Can you believe a, a left brain businessman is saying that? So may, maintain and master deep, meaningful human connections. They, they, they connect you for life. Invest in ethical trust building behaviors. So we want to be able to go to a guy who's doing work for me, a lady is doing some projects for me, and I say, here's what I would like to have done. Turn around and walk away and know that it will be done. I don't have to second guess it. I don't have to assume that when I turn my back, something is not done that was in a contract. 
when I have that relationship with suppliers and clients, I don't have to spend time with them or on them. And I'm able to go out and make more projects and create more relationships. And they don't have to waste time with someone overseeing them and second guessing them because they know that we trust them. That's so critically, critically important. Learn more and as much as you can about your tenants, customers, and suppliers' needs. And if you know to keep putting suppliers in here because they're part of our team. I cannot supply my service to our customers if I don't have the suppliers with me because I am a supplier to my customer. So, you know, you, you engage together, you co-create together, you manifest your business success together and you only do it by having that. And my last, last thing that I have been saying since I've been in business, we have to always keep ourselves grounded in integrity, ethics, and morals. They're the cornerstones of every business. And if somebody comes and offers something that is outside of that, regardless of profit, regardless of timing, regardless of anything, the answer is no, you don't even engage. So integrity, ethics, and morals. So I'm going to close it down there um, with the following, which is a, a little statement about next week. And that is that we are, as we all know, moving to a soft opening this coming Monday for certain businesses, accounting firms, lawyers, and so on. In doing that, the pandexit, which is we're exiting this crazy, crazy time, starts officially. Now, God knows we've been wishing for forever. We're going to start climbing up the hill. That is going to introduce so many emotional challenges to every single one of us that I'm thinking that next week and perhaps the week after, I'm going to spend a bit of time on it. And the reason I'm choosing that is that as we entered this, we were in shock and we had all the things we spoke about, fear, anxiety, all of that. Now we've settled into it. Like we're almost comfortable now. Getting bored. It's 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 taking a toll on us. If we could just socialize a little bit, if we could just get out a little bit more, it'd be fine. But by coming back into the game, there's going to be an acceleration of emotional responses by so many of our people, by so many, and justified. And we all have to talk about it, understand it. So next week, we're coming out of the COVID fog and we're starting with that. 